hustlers, road players, tournament champions. Hear the stories, get their advice, learn about their lives. Our host, Joey Ryan, brings you an inside look at the professional pool player. You're listening to the Pool Player Podcast, brought to you by Pool Scene 365. Hey, you guys, Joey Ryan here. Thank you so much for the support for Pool Player Podcast so far. One piece of feedback that I've received is that I should start interviewing folks that aren't necessarily pool players, professional players, but they're industry leaders, they're promoters, they're instructors. And so today's episode is my first step into doing that. And I'm interviewing a fellow by the name of Lil Chris, who has a huge YouTube following. And I really wanted to kick this off. And I think I'll be uh, posting these episodes maybe on a Thursday, kind of a midweek episode. So I hope you enjoy what Lil Chris has to say. Uh, I really wanted to pick his brain. He's got 60,000 YouTube followers. He posts instructional videos. He's got a couple videos with a million views. So I thought you guys might like it. So let's check out Lil Chris. Hey, welcome to the Pool Player Podcast brought to you by Pool Scene 365. I'm your host, Joey Ryan. If you're enjoying this content, do me a favor and hit the subscribe button and that little notification bell so you can get updated with each new episode. Uh, we have some great ones coming to uh, coming your way like today's. Uh, today we have with us uh, really our first interview with what I would consider an industry leader. Uh, he's got nearly 60,000 YouTube followers and he's got some great instructional videos out there. And so without further ado, I'd like to introduce Lil Chris. How's it going, Lil Chris? Hey, Joey. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, obviously you play pool. How did you first get started in pool? Uh, I think like with everybody else, it started as a hobby. I, I've, I've been playing since I was 17 years old. And unfortunately, I'm going to be turning 40 this year. Uh, <laughs> but uh, some friends of mine and I would uh, go to the pool hall on a regular basis, um, almost every weekend. And there was actually a point in time where I actually showed up by myself. It was always used to be me and my best friend. And then sometimes some other friends would show up. But then finally, one particular weekend, it was just me by myself. And I shot by myself for a little bit, you know, and then got really bored. But then I saw somebody playing on another table and it was actually a nine foot table because me and my friends only played on an eight foot table. And we also only played eight ball. The gentleman that I'm referring to was playing nine ball. I don't know how to play nine ball at this time. And he explains the rules to me really simple. Shoot them in numerical order. If you make the nine ball after hitting the lowest ball first, you win or just run completely to the nine ball. So like, cool. We play. And the guy breaks, makes a ball, and his opening shot is a draw shot. Now, as, as simple as any average pool player could actually make that sound, for someone that has no clue how to play the game other than to, to hit the cue ball into a ball and watch the ball that I hit go into a pocket, to see that cue ball for the first time just go forward, hit a ball, and then, in my mind, magically come backwards – just changed my world about the game. Cause all I could do was my jaw drops. I look at the guy and go, how did you do that? <laughs> and, and he, and he showed me how to do it. I tried executing it a couple of times and I'm just like, okay, I, I, I want to learn how to play this game. And then from there on out, I was always going to the pool hall every weekend, regardless if my friends were going or not. And then I was looking for people to actually play. Cause I kind of got this notion that anybody that was playing on the nine foot tables knew 
how to play and anybody that pl played on the eight foot tables were just like there to play for fun. And so there was a point in time where I transitioned from playing on eight footers to only playing on nine footers. And it just, it just took off from there. I started studying how to play the game. I was playing anybody that I could actually play, trying to learn things uh, from everybody and just kept on going from there on out. It took some breaks uh, here and there. I think everybody does that maybe a year here, a year there, but never actually uh, put it down. So what part of the country is this, Chris? Where, whereabouts? Uh, I'm in Texas. Okay. Yeah. And so I think Texas, they do have quite a bit of eight foot pool tables. Uh, I used to live in Florida and it was kind of a similar scenario where you had the nine footers and the eight footers, you know, and then I've lived in other States where it's pretty much, you have seven footers and nine footers. I actually played in, in a tournament one time in Florida where depending on what table you got called on, you could play on an eight footer or a nine footer in the same table. <laughs> I mean, oh, in the same tournament. Geez. Yeah, it was nuts. <laughs> it was nuts. But uh, uh, would you say that there's still quite a bit of table, uh, quite a bit of uh, rooms in Texas where they have eight foot tables now? Um, so the pool hall that I at least grew up in had seven foot tables, eight foot tables and nine foot tables. Mm. Now the our area here, at least in the central Texas area, is predominantly league play, mm -hmm. which is overrun by seven foot tables uh, more than anything else. There's still some pool halls that I know around here, like I think in the Waco area, uh, they have just eight foot tables and maybe a handful of nine, uh, nine foot tables, but they would all at least have seven foot tables uh, more than anything else. And um, here in Texas, we do have the Texas State Open. Uh, that's ran every year, but that pool hall in Round Rock uh, called Skinny Bob's, I think only has nine foot tables. Now, I think they might have a couple of uh, seven foot tables because they used to have uh, they used to have it separated where there was one room that had just the seven foot tables and then their main room that had the nine foot tables. But they since then knocked down the wall. So it's just one complete room. And I haven't been there since they did that. So I'm not not entirely sure um, what they might have done with the uh, the seven foot tables. And I also know that they have a 10 foot uh, three cushion table, two of them. Now. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, we're going to talk quite a bit about your YouTube channel, your YouTube videos. Okay. Um, but when it comes to like, when you turn on YouTube and watch pool on YouTube, uh, are, do you have any favorite players to watch? Uh, yeah. Uh, my favorite YouTuber to watch is Dr. Dave Billiards. Uh, he was the one that pretty much showed me um, what to try to do when it comes to making YouTube videos. He's not the only one. When, like when I started my YouTube channel a little over a year and a half ago, I had to try to figure out what did I want to do with regards to making YouTube videos, especially pool related videos, because pool related videos is not the only thing that you're going to find on my YouTube channel. I started off doing some small fitness videos because I like to exercise. I like to stay physically fit. It was it wasn't a matter of being a fitness influencer. It was more like vlogging and stuff like that. But when it came to pool, that becomes more educational because I'm going to try to teach. Um, and then I'm also a software developer. That's what I do as my job. That's what I'm a professional at because I'm not a professional pool player. Uh, so I looked at Dr. Dave's. I looked at Shara uh, Very. He's another uh, good uh, YouTube pool player that I follow. Uh, Jaden Dupree from Dupree Trick Shots is another good one. Just just to name a few, mm -hmm. just to try to figure out how are these um, individuals teaching. Because one, I don't want to copy them. Like I, I have to try to figure out how to be unique. 
Um, so I'm, I'm looking at like, what camera angles are they using when they, when they do all their filming? Uh, more importantly, what words are they choosing when they say certain things, especially knowing that pool between the United States and say like the United Kingdom, we have different terminologies, yeah. you know, in pool, we say draw in the UK, they say screw, you know, uh, in, in, in the US, we say billiard, but in the UK, they say cannon. So like, I, I try to look at all of those individual things and try to figure out, okay, what am I going to say? How is it going to look? And then what am I going to demonstrate, especially with the correct camera angles to where hopefully somebody can get it? Because when I look through their comment section and I start to see questions, multiple questions, then I think, did they not explain it well enough? Or was it the commenter that just didn't get it? And I tried to balance it to where maybe it's a little bit of both. So if I try to teach the same exact thing, how could I teach the same exact thing without getting that question? Because then I know that I've explained it well enough to where hopefully more people will be able to understand it. You know, that's really interesting because uh, with this podcast, I'm interviewing, you know, a lot of top players and they've been interviewed before. And so one thing that I've done is gone back and watched their interviews the same way you watched, you know, Dr. Dave's videos. But one thing I didn't do that I love that you said is you went down through the comments and you looked at what people said about it. And, you know, that would probably be a really good way for me to go about, you know, attacking these interviews because I might find things that people have said, hey, I wish you would ask them this, <laughs> you know, and no, like, absolutely, you yeah. know, because it, it, at least I, I would think that from a YouTube perspective, the interaction that you get from the comments, because people are going to ask, why do you, I mean, there's going to be trolling and then there's going to be questions and there's going to be compliments. I think that's basically what you can see in the comment section as, as also in some dialogue, people might actually talk to each other um, in the comment section. And having been a, an ag a college adjunct faculty, um, I used to teach after I got my master's degree. And so to, to physically teach people and, but the only advantage I have from physically teaching people is seeing body reaction, body language to know whether or not if they're actually getting it here, all I can, all I have is words. You know, someone's going to type, well, did you mean to say this? Or I don't understand when you say this. And then now I have to think about, well, this is what they're talking about in the video. This is how I said it in the video. Now, how do I transform that sentence into another sentence that means the exact same thing that answers that question? Because clearly what I said didn't work. And that's something that I'm always constantly struggling with on how I'm going to say something to portray whatever lesson that I'm trying to teach. Yeah, and so you have a background in teaching, which I think you kind of need, right, to do the types of videos that you do. Um, so, you know, tell us about, you know, when you made that transition to start teaching pool. Uh, I think that's always been since I was going through college. Uh, you know, I went to college to become a software developer. And all through college, I, uh, after being, after making good grades, my instructors would ask, do I, how do I feel about tutoring? Um, or uh, being a lab assistant, being in the computer lab and helping uh, other students with whatever homework that they're working on. And I took that as a job while I was going to college. So there was a point in time where I'm at least helping college kids, um, college kids like myself, because I was also um, a college student, uh, to finally, again, after graduating with my master's degree, the college offered me a job. So now I'm going to, you know, get paid 
um, part-time salary to teach um, college students. And I went to a non-traditional college, non-traditional meaning that the, the student body is primarily made up of people that are not fresh out of high school, yeah. uh, which would be, you know, traditional would be 18 on up. Non-traditional could be anywhere from like, you know, 20, 21 on up uh, to, you know, Lord knows what. So for me as a pool player, especially when I thought I was like coming up at the ranks, at least in my area, and people would start asking me just, you know, just to ask, how do you do this? And so I, I try, I try, I try teaching them, you know, I, I show them try to how to hold the cue, how to, how to swing the cue, where to hit on the cue ball, et cetera, et cetera. So now for me, as a software developer, what the principle we live by is the simplest and easiest way to get things done. Mm. So you take that principle and think about how many times I get asked to, to show something. Well, instead of being asked multiple times and having to re-explain it multiple times, here's a video that answers your question. At least hopefully it answers your question if, it's, if I presented it well. So now when people usually ask me uh, stuff, I'll ask them, go check out this video first. And if there's something you're, you, that you're unable to replicate or unable to understand, then come see me and I could try to, I can try to fill in the blanks. And that was something I had to learn as a teacher, because when I was um, a tutor, I would always teach by answering their question and answering their question in, in simplest terms saying, if they asked me what's one plus one, I would just go two, instead of teaching them how to solve one plus one equals two. And so that's what I was referring to when I said that go watch the video first and see what you can learn on your own. And if, if you can come to me with a question of what you didn't learn, then I'm going to try to fill in the blank on that one. Yeah, and, and we have to be getting pretty close to the point where it's tough for you to get a question that you haven't covered in one of your videos. How many, about how many videos do you have on your channel now? Uh, pool related videos, I, I don't know what the exact number is. I have quite a lot because I, I don't try to just teach. I try to be entertaining uh, as well. So I've done some stuff to where like every video on my channel is organized into playlists. So that way, hopefully it's easy to navigate through my channel and stuff is easy to find. So I have a list where there are just strictly pool lessons. I'm covering a specific topic and trying to break down something on how to do something with the game of pool. Um, I do have a playlist where I've published my APA league matches because I do play in the APA league. So as long as my opponent is okay with being released onto the internet, uh, then uh, I just take my raw footage that I have and just publish it, uh, which is good. I, I like that I get to do that from time to time because in case anybody doesn't know, if you see an actual recorded YouTube video, especially instructional YouTube videos, more than likely what you see on the video was not done on the first take especially with me. Uh, it does take multiple takes, but when you watch me do an APA match, there's, there's no multiple takes. It's just, this is how I truly play. And it, you either gonna, you're either going to compliment and say it's good, or you're going to criticize and say that it's bad, you know, whatever. But it's, it's the real me playing pool with my decisioning. And the only thing I'm doing with the APA matches, I tried to provide voiceover commentary as to what I must have been thinking at that point in time to try to do whatever it is that I uh, was doing in order to break down the table and hopefully create a run out. Yeah, I, if I did that, there'd be times where I would say, I have no idea what I was thinking. <laughs> I have I have those from time to time. Yeah. So um, so you introduce some innovation or, or what I view as innovation into your videos uh, where you'll run tables with GoPros. 
you know, to show like that perspective of what it looks like behind the cue ball. And, you know, as you're stroking the ball, you can see when you're going to put right hand English, low English, high English. And I think that really helps people out a lot. You also have a little cue ball uh, diagram in the corner where you can show, you know, I used one tip of right hand English or two tips of right hand English. Um, was this something that you just came up with on your own or had you seen it out there? And do you have other things that you're wanting to do from like an innovation standpoint in your videos? Uh, let's see here. I, I remember at one point in time, I think when I did my first GoPro um, video, um, I did get a comment saying that, did I get this idea from Sheraveri? Because he has really, really awesome GoPro videos uh, that he does. And the answer is no. Um, because one, when I first started, I already had a GoPro, but the problem with my Go, my GoPro that I had, not the one that I've been using, but the, my older one is that it's an older model. So if I were to strap that thing on my head, I would have no clue what it's recording until after I'm done and then decide was the angle correct? Could, can you see what I need you to see, et cetera, et cetera, versus the new ones like the GoPro Hero 8. You can use your phone to see what your camera is seeing, and I can tilt it up, tilt it down and stuff. So before I started using the GoPro, I actually had glasses, like actual um, uh, glasses that I could wear. And I have like two or three videos where those glasses are actually being portrayed. The only problem was that if I put the glasses on, the camera's right here on the bridge. So when I'm coming down to shoot the shot, even though my head's up, the bridge is still down. So it's not actually seeing straight across what I'm seeing. And I, and I illustrate that. I think that was on my, I think it was either on my top spin or my bottom spin video to where I can see what I'm doing, but you can't. And I had to move the glasses up to my forehead, which is basically what you do with the GoPro. Yeah. And so after I got the new GoPro, I pretty much put the glasses down and started wearing the GoPro. Yeah, plus, yeah. The GoPro plus the GoPro has better quality uh, for the, for the video. Yeah. And, you know, I've seen a few other folks that do it with a GoPro and I can tell right away that you have, you keep your head rather low, like chin mm -hmm. close to your cue, because you're really looking right down the barrel where I've seen other people do it and their heads like really high. And when it's really high, you know, you get a different perspective and frankly, not as good a perspective because you're not able to see the English and things like that. Right. I must say, I, you know, I, I, I think the idea that you have where folks can send you their videos and you can analyze them running a table uh, or a few tables, actually, I think that's brilliant. And, you know, and I think in order to do what you're doing, uh, we talked about this a little before we started the interview, but it takes so much time to process these videos. And so in order to do what you're doing, there has to be a calling. You have to feel like, hey, I want to help people. And so you have folks send in their videos and then you analyze their runouts. Uh, where did this idea come from? That idea came from what I do for my APA uh, team that I captain. So when I started playing APA like 12, 15 years ago, I never wanted to be a captain. I just wanted to be a player, you know, the, the dependable player that says show up, do what you need to do. And then of course, hang out and have fun. Um, I, I didn't like the idea of trying to be responsible for people because if my players don't show up, I'm probably going to be upset and I'll let them know that, that I'm upset. But then as I've gotten older and, and more mature, I've, I'm able to handle that situation a little bit better. And now we usually don't really have any excuses to where like, if you can't show up and you know, I'm going to, I'm going to get a hold of you and it's like, what's the deal? You know, so 
I make sure that when I formed my my team that they're well aware that because of cell phones, text messaging, Facebook, whatever, if you can't show up, please let your team know or let me know or communicate with someone else on the team to say, hey, I need you to play for me because I can't. All right. So that, that at least allowed that issue to be a little bit more resolvable. But on top of that, I also knew that if these guys are going to want to play, some of them aren't even pool players because I, I forgot to mention my APA team is made up of coworkers. Hmm. So I started a uh, club at my uh, job where I got coworkers involved and some are, some are pool players. Some actually said like they've played off and on, they play, or they play recreational. And then some are just like, no, I want to learn how to play the game. And that was one of the things I had to sell them. I was like, well, I don't think I'm good enough. And I'm like, just because you said that, that makes you good enough. Yeah. Because do you want to learn? Cause that's, that's what we're going to do on top of playing uh, as well. So I was able to start recording videos of their APA matches. Those don't touch the internet though. Those I give back to them with the same type of um, analysis that you that I do have on YouTube from the videos that I have on my channel because those are people from across the country or across the world that are sending me in their, in their games and I'm analyzing them. So I already have prior experience of analyzing a game and trying to break it down. Uh, for YouTube and it evolved. I did my first one. It was like over 50 minutes long. The second one was over an hour. And I even said in that video, I was like, I understand this is over an hour and it's probably gonna little, be a little hard to, to swallow, to sit there and watch for an hour. So what do y'all think I should do? And people started commenting, like maybe you should watch the, the, the rack first and then criticize it or give advice afterwards. And I pretty much took that. We would, I would watch the, the rack uninterrupted, and then I would try to find anywhere between three to five spots in the rack to where it's like, I can offer a bit of advice here, or I can offer a bit of advice here and let it go. And that at least prevented the video from being over an hour long. They can range anywhere from 30 to 45 minutes, but the main time driver is how long does it take the individual to run the table? Like that, I, I can't, I can't do anything about that except right. maybe speed, except maybe speed the video up, but then I, I might lose something. Cause I'm not looking at just pattern plays and shot making. I'm looking, are they, are they t moving their hand when they shoot? Or if, if the camera angle allows it, how do their feet look? Um, you know, their posture, I'm trying to find all little types of things like that on top of what are they, what, what balls are they actually shooting and what um, patterns are they actually playing? Yeah, the one I just watched, a guy broke the balls and on his follow through, he swung way to the left, you know, yep. and, you know, I watched you watched the rack and then you came back and you said, if you're swinging that far to the left on your follow through, you're probably starting out, you know, out, out to the side. And, you know, that's really messing with your power. It's messing with your accuracy and, you know, little things like that. But I, I love what you said about you know, the getting the, the league players involved and teaching the league players. I met my wife playing APA, actually. Nice. And the, the problem that I had, though, was when I would coach and help, you know, our team, it seemed like I always had to find new players, you know, because they'd escalate through the rankings so quick. I'm sure you probably deal with that yourself, especially That's with the expert tutelage you give them. That's exactly what my uh, team deals with. Like I used to play APA nine ball with my coworkers. I, I can't anymore. Our roster does not support me being a skill level nine. So unless I find uh, lower skill level 
twos and threes that we can get on the nine ball team, then I can join the nine ball team again. I can obviously be on the team, but I, I would never get to play. Like I can always be there to do timeouts and stuff, but that would, that would serve no purpose. Yeah. So, so Chris, my audience, it's not quite as big as yours, but if they wanted to send videos to you, what, what do you recommend? Obviously first subscribe to your channel, but how, how would they go about doing that? Well, subscribing to my channel is not necessary. Subscribing to my channel is only when I do giveaways because I want uh, a subscriber to receive an item, someone that actively follows me. Uh, I think some people, I, I think there might've been like one or two people that I've, I've done reviews on that just aren't subscribers and that's not a big deal to me. Um, I used to have it to where they would actually email me their videos. I stopped that because I thought of the idea, well, what happens if someone emails me a virus? Um, of course I, I scan everything. Like I take necessary precautions to make sure that I, I don't get something, uh, dangerous for my computers. Uh, then I said, uh, well, enough of that upload it to your YouTube channel. Uh, because since I've become a YouTuber, that's, that's, I, I kind of promote the idea of being on some form of social media like that besides Facebook. So it's like, if, if you have a passion to do something and you talk about like, I want to do this, I want to, well, why don't you start blogging about it on or vlogging with a V about it on YouTube or, or whatever. So that way it's, it's always there and you don't even have to make it public. If you don't make it private, yeah. you, you, you just have it there. And then if you ever find the courage enough to do it, and I do say courage, like it does take courage to put something out there for the world to see and to, to criticize or troll, uh, then, then do so. Uh, so most of the time I'll tell them, you know, upload it to, to YouTube privately um, and then just provide me the, the link to it. But if you're uploading it privately, do know that my upload is not going to be privately. So you might as well upload it publicly and let other people see, you know, what they're going to see before I try to analyze it. Yeah. And that's a great segue because your YouTube following is, you know, pretty massive. You know, I remember when I first had my idea to start interviewing pool players and industry folks, I remember, you know, people were saying, well, how many followers are you going to get? How many subscribers? And at the time I was just passionate about what I was doing. So I didn't really care, you know, um, obviously, you know, the more subscribers I get, you know, the more, you know, I can get the stories of these guys out to the world. And I want to do that, you know, and so I've started to focus more on that, but you have almost 60,000 subscribers. You have a few videos with a million views. I mean, that's insane. <laughs> so um, what do you, what would you say to the average Joe like me uh, who has this idea pool related and they want to take it to YouTube and, and, and do something with it? Like what advice would you give them starting out? I've already tried answering that question for a lot of different people. Um, I have no clue why I have almost 60,000 subscribers. Like I, I, I really don't. I am not the type of person that tries to boast uh, about themselves and saying like, look at me with my 60,000 subscribers. Because all I can say is when I started knowing that I was gonna do pool related stuff on top of other things like fitness as well as computer programming, I have computer programming videos uh, that are on my uh, channel. I did research. I went and watched Dr. Dave videos. I watched Sherry, you know, all the pool related videos that were out there, not all of them, but a lot of them. Um, and just tried to figure out what I'm going to do that's going to allow it to be unique besides me being the uniqueness of the video. You watch a top spin video by me, you watch a top spin video by somebody else. There's going to be something that separates those two videos. And that's what I tried to 
key in off of one, because it, it doesn't mean that I'm copying the person because that's what I don't want to do is copy somebody, regardless of the fact that we're talking about the same exact thing. So like, how do you not copy? Well, different words, different camera angles, different presentations, just, just something to try to slightly separate it uh, just to be able to make it unique. After that, you have the video. Well, then how does the video get discovered? Well, I had, I had to research that um, as well. And it turns out that um, when you upload a video, you have to, or you don't have to, but it's recommended that you should be applying what's called tags uh, to your video. And tags are basically keywords that are used that when you do a search, either in Google or in YouTube, that if any one of your tagged keywords is typed in the search bar, then it might, and I say might, show up in the result list. And so what kind of what kind of tags, what kind of keywords should you have in your videos? Well, it should be most likely the title of your video and anything that actually describes the content of the video. If we're talking about um, bank shots, for example, the word bank might wanna be a keyword that you would tag in there or bank or banking or one rail bank shots. Now, when you say bank, you know, bank is a pool related term, but bank is also not a pool related term because it's a financial term, banks, right? So if you search for bank, you might get some pool related material. You might get, get some financial related material that like that's that's the purpose of the, the keyword search. Hmm. So the more tags that you have in your video that's related to what you're actually doing in the video, then the higher the probability that it might be discovered. And then I think after that, I don't know how the YouTube algorithm works, but I think after that, um, the likes, the dislikes, the number of comments and the number of views, all of the interactions that your video could possibly achieve helps promote it being viewed multiple times after that. And then there's going to be like a slowdown rate, like, you know, like your, your video is going to peak and then it's going to plateau and then it's just going to like drift on down and then just reach a steady maintenance set to where like this is how often it's going to get viewed, you know, every day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's interesting about the banks. I never really thought about that. And I think that could help a lot of people. What about the folks that are out there? You know, like I had an idea for my channel two and a half, three years ago. I, I fly for my day job. You, you program software. I sell software. <laughs> so we'd oh, be, we'd, okay. <laughs> yeah, we'd be a good team together, but you know, that means a lot of time on an airplane for me. And so I had this idea and I was like, I want to, I want to start interviewing people, top players and, you know, uh, get it on YouTube and, you know, let people get to know some of these folks in the industry. And so I sat on it and I didn't move for, you know, two and a half years until, you know, just about a month and a half, two months ago. Uh, what, what could you tell people who are kind of in that position, who have an idea, but there's just, you know, maybe they feel a little overwhelmed with actually moving on it. Is there any advice you can give them? Um, I, I, I think based on what you said i think the the only advice i can have is the to just just to have uh, the courage like and i i said that before like how you have to be, you have to have courage to, to publish something on youtube it's easy to publish something on facebook because you're publishing it to your friends and yeah. and and getting whatever you know criticism feedback jokes whatever that you're going to get from your friends but when you publicize something to the internet it's not just your friends and so you know, it takes one negative comment to just totally rip your momentum apart to where it's like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to do this again. So it, it, 
I guess the best advice I can give is if you know how to mentally prepare for something like that and basically realize that whoever says something like that to you is someone you don't even know, they're, they're probably across the world and you're probably never going to see them. So why should it really even matter what they say? Uh, and, and if, if worse comes to worse, just just delete it. So you don't so you don't have to so you don't ever have to see it again. Um, th that would probably be the best advice that, that I can give on that, because I sat and thought about that for a long time. Like, what am I going to do the moment I see that first negative comment? Like, like I, am I going to react to it, which I don't really want to do, because that means I've given in to what this commenter wants. They want to get a rise out of me. Mm -hmm. So the only way I know that because I, I do this in real life that if someone tries to get a rise out of me, I try not to react to it because they don't have control. You know, you're only in control of yourself. And if someone tries to get control over you, you defeat them by not giving them control. And so when you see a negative comment, just don't react to it, which is pretty much what I don't do. I do react to negative criticism. You know, they, they, they say something and they say, here's why I'm saying this. Then I can have a dialogue in, in, in the comment section with them as to this is why and I either we agree or disagree. And, and then other people will start engaging with it as well. But if it's just a flat out negative comment like you suck, like, well, then, OK, what, what, what's next? Like, I don't care. Who, who, who are you? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's actually really good advice for me. Because so far, you know, I've <clears throat> released a few episodes and all the feedback has been positive and I'm just waiting for that, that one shoe to drop, you know, that's, that's really going to be a zinger there. And uh, so that's, I appreciate that. So, you know, with all your subscribers, all your success so far, you obviously started before, you know, the coronavirus and all that kind of took effect. I started right in the middle of it. And so like just finding webcams and microphones, forget it. You know, everybody was sold out. I had to buy stuff off marketplace and, you know, but I think what we've seen is, you know, the reason everything was sold out is people actually acting on this idea of starting a YouTube channel or starting a vlog or doing something different. And so I'm just wondering, like, do you see this as an opportunity you know, for yourself to maybe expand some of what you're offering. And I'm sure, you know, the wheels are probably already turning up there. You know, is there anything you can share with us about like some new ideas that you might have? Yeah. So um, I, I've been asked that before, like with pool content, I think that can only go so far, um, especially with educational pool content. Like, like after I, I cover every aspect about how to shoot a certain shot or how to hold the cue or whatever, like, do I go and reteach it again as another video and try to dive a little bit deeper in details? Uh, Cause then, then I'm really getting, getting into like the physics of the game, which I think could actually get really boring when they mm -hmm. just want to say like, just show me where to hit on the cue ball and how hard to hit the cue ball. And that's it. Like, that's all they're interested in. They don't want to know miles per hour or kilometers per hour or, or anything like that. So YouTube is also obviously not just for uh, entertainment and education, like, it, or it's not, my YouTube channel is not just for educational purposes of how to play pool. I try to be entertaining uh, in there as well. So when I'm doing stuff like playing the ghost, I, I try to put sound effects or, um, 
have stuff pop up on the screen to want to re-engage the attention of the of the viewer because you know if, if you're just sitting there just watching something and then you start to lose interest then you know but hopefully you'll 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 stop watching the video but then hopefully at the right moment in time if something just popped up onto the video or a sound came on it like it it re-engages them to to con continue watching so mm -hmm. i'm constantly looking for something like that and i do have other types of ideas uh that i i may try um, with regards to my channel, because YouTube, YouTube channels, they usually try to specialize in one specific thing. Um, like if it's a cooking uh, YouTube channel, that's, that's all you're going to see is cooking, nothing else. Um, my YouTube channel just has my YouTube channel name, Lil Chris. Well, what does that mean? And at at least at the very my very first video that I ever published, I did say expect to see like fitness related videos, expect to see pool related videos, and expect to see programming related videos. And then every once in a while, you might just see something completely random. So at the very least, you know my channel is at least wide open. But everybody likes my pool videos, so if I want to retain my audience that's what I at least have to adhere to. And so every so often after publishing five or six or 10 pool uh, related videos, there might just be something else that just pops in the middle. And then you'll have like, you know, uh, a number of pool videos after that. And then again, something will just pop up. I like just, it. To, just to also see if that, if that one video that pops up, if it's actually popular, then I'm like, hey, I got something else I can, I can grab a hold of. Because I can't just keep doing the same thing because I would f I would feel like my channel will just plateau and nothing uh, it'll it, nothing will happen after that. I, so I'm, that's how I at least try to explore new ideas is saying like here's just a random video let's let's see how it does and if it does what I think is okay because I don't I don't look at just strictly view counts um, I look at the comment engagement and stuff just to see um, and to find out like that was good enough let's see if let's see if the second video will take off. Oh, yeah. the second video didn't take off. So maybe it's, we'll try third time's the charm to, just to see like, is this a subject or is this the topic that's going to work? And then if not, then I might just taper it back down and then bring it back up later on in the future. So you mentioned fitness, you mentioned uh, computer programming and pool. Are, do you have any other interests, any other hobbies? Well, I mean, I was a percussionist from middle school through high school. So I know how to read music. I can dabble on the piano uh, here and there, you know, so it, I, I can't sight read music. I, I certainly wouldn't call myself a pianist uh, by any means, but it, give me some sheet music and some time to practice. I can eventually, you know, kick out something at least melodically. Um, but I am a recreational type of person. There, I, I like to engage in a lot of different activities and become good uh, at something. And then when I feel that I'm good enough, then I go and learn something else. So I can also juggle. Um, I like doing uh, juggling. Um, I can do card tricks. Uh, I have a, a repertoire of cards, card tricks that I do uh, that still fascinate people uh, to this day. Um, it just, just a lot of other different things. I mean, I'm a computer nerd. So I think by nature, that means I, I play video games. So yeah. like, I, I'm, I'm also a gamer uh, as well. So yeah, I, I have a lot of stuff about myself that I, I can turn into YouTube videos. I, I, to me, I think it's just a matter of timing to publish uh, the material and, and see if people will actually like it. Yeah. So when I interview top players, you know, I always ask them about growing the sport, growing the game of pool. And, you know, I, I've gotten some really great answers. And I know, you know, I, I'm old enough to remember pool on television 
in the United States. Uh, yep. So I'm, I'm 48 years old. And so, you know, I remember turning on ESPN and watching Efren Reyes play Earl Strickland and it was great, you know, and we haven't had that, but you can turn on the TV now and you can watch somebody throw bags or you can watch darts or, you know, other, other things. And so I want to give you the chance uh, to see if you have any ideas, uh, obviously, you know, with your training videos for players that don't typically play or don't play, you know, really well, that obviously helps. But do you have any ideas for really growing the sport in the United States? Man, that's I, I, I think that's a tough question, because what does growing the sport actually mean? Does growing the sport meaning more people watching, more people playing? all of the above? Like, yeah. could you be a little bit more specific? <laughs> well, I mean, I'd like to see pull back on television. I'd like to see like even internationally, you know, I'm preparing for an interview with one of the top players in the world who won the world nine ball championship last year, won $30,000, you know, and that's just, to me, that's, you know, not acceptable. You know, you should, if you beat that many uh, of the best players in the world in any game, any sport, I think you should make a half a million, a million dollars, you know? And so obviously there's some real problems that we have in this game that we love. And you like to downplay how well you play. You're a good player, you know? So thank you. You, you know what it's like, you know, to play against other good players and compete. And so, you know, how hard it is. And so I'm just wondering, you know, do you have any ideas for maybe bringing professional pull back to television uh, or, you know, increasing the prize monies, that kind of thing? Well, um, you talked about money, right? The money makes the world go around. Like, how do we get more money back into pool? Um, and I kind of feel like, I kind of feel like we're already doing that. Um, like, you know, with what you're doing, uh, with what I'm doing, um, there are other podcasters um, out there that we, pool is at least all over social media. There are plenty of people out there that live stream uh, pool events, whether they're professional uh, pool events or they're their own local pool tournaments kind of thing. And I, so it, it's already out there. Um, I will have to say though that, and I've said this before, that the professional pool players make the game great because to watch the way they know how to manipulate that cue ball around the table, get out of trouble spots and everything else, that that's what that's the most fascinating part about the game. The but there's not a lot of them like the, you can say there's a lot of professional pool players like that's that's a blanket statement. However, there's a whole lot more non-professional pool players yeah. and they don't get any type of publicity um, unless they have, you know, their social medias or it, like it, the APA does do that, um, at least with their national tournaments. Um, but that it's only for it's only for the winner like the winner is what gets publicized not everybody else that basically tries mm -hmm. so i i would have to think and that's like i think that's with any professional type of sport or competition uh, obviously whoever's up at the top will get the most notary um for for the event but i i would think it would also maybe maybe be helpful if you can figure out a way to in, involve everybody else uh, as well, especially if there was if there was an up and comer or anything, because I, I think it's safe to say that we we like to be recognized for for things that we do. And if there's an individual out there that's just 
bust in their butt to try to be good at something, but just somehow keeps falling short and not really getting where they feel like they need to get, can, can that person be helped just from recognition? You know, because I, I think the simple answer people would say was like, well, that person needs to work harder. Like, of course, right? But they can only do what a person can only do what a person can do, especially with whatever resources that they actually have. You know, this person might not have sponsors or, or anything like that, like, like our professionals do. So how can we help any up and comers get their notary on top of even people below that? So if all we're doing is hearing about the same people over and over again, I think that does get kind of boring, right? We, we want to hear about people that are that are growing. Now, we, we get that every now and again. You know, we, we went from all of the, the, the Efren Reyes's and the Earl Strickland's, and now we've got the Shane Van Bonings and the Skyler, uh, Skyler Woodward's, et cetera. So they, they come. I just don't think they come in a high enough volume that goes to like what you said. Why aren't we on TV? Yeah, I, I like that answer. And, you know, when I ask everybody that I've interviewed, when I ask that question, you know, nobody's going to have the number one right answer, you know, but what I'm looking for is to kind of take bits and pieces from what everybody says and kind of formulate a plan, you know, and obviously you need backing, you need support for that. But I really like some of the things that you said there about, you know, finding ways to, to really have a, a turnover of players quicker than like an entire generation, right? Right. Because we went from the Earls and the Johnnies and the the Efrens, and now we got the Shanes and the Skylers, you know, but what about that group in between, you know? And right. how can we start kind of bringing these players along, you know, on a more frequent basis? I like that. Do you have any aspirations as a pool player or are you pretty content with where you are and and the skill level you're at now? Or do you, do you aspire to, to play better, play higher? I always aspire to, to play better. I, I don't have any intentions on becoming a professional, uh, meaning that I'm not going to attempt to make a living off of playing pool. That's how I define what a professional is. I'm a professional software developer. That's what I do is my job. That's what pays my bills. But I always aspire to play better. So I am not the best player in my area. So you can say I, tr I try to be the best player in my area. But once I'm if I ever were to achieve that, then there's like the the mile rate, uh, like the, the 10 mile radius or the 25 mile radius to where like the moment I leave my area, I'm no longer the best player. So how far out do I want to go locally to where it's like maybe within a five hour drive radius that I'm at least, you know, someone notable. Uh, that's probably how I would at least scale myself. So that's why I do try to play in at least good open uh, style tournaments like the Texas State Open that I mentioned before. I am going to try to compete uh, this year. Um, it's been delayed. They usually have it uh, every Labor Day weekend, uh, but it is happening at the end of this month. And I am signed up for it. And I have tried it a couple of times um, in the past and I just go to and out. Right. So it's just like once I saw that after my first couple of attempts, and this was like years ago, that I would just like, you know, pay my entry fee and go to and out. It's like, okay, well, in reality, I know I'm not going to cash out, but let's not go to and out next time. Like that's that's an achievable goal. It is. Right? So so I, I win my first match, but then lost my next two. All right, goal achieved. Uh, so how much, you know, how much farther can, can I go? It's a multi-day tournament. So like the next goal was let's make it to day two. And finally, one day or one year, I made it to day two. It's like, okay, now it's like, now I'm at the point where it's like, let's try to get into the money. Let's, let's, let's see if I can get there. And I, I've, I've yet to do that. 
You know, that's actually, I'm glad you brought that up. That's actually something really good for the listeners that are trying to improve. You know, I, I went an entire, uh, I guess, several year period playing on the Planet Pool Tour in the DC area. And every, I, I did pretty well at times and then I did poorly at times. But the one constant was I always lost to the people I was supposed to lose to. And I always beat the people, well, usually beat the people I was supposed to beat. And it was such a frustrating feeling to come home from the tournament and be like, well, I won three matches. I got 75 bucks back, you know, but I lost to Parika and I lost to Brandon Schuff, you know, <laughs> so right. I said, I set a goal one particular, one particular year. I said this year, every tournament, I'm going to try to beat one person I'm not supposed to beat in every single tournament I played in. And I succeeded. I didn't win an event. You know, uh, they were killers in those events, but every single tournament I upset one player that I wasn't supposed to beat. you know? And so it's amazing. You just set a goal like that. And like you said, it's something attainable. You know, I know I'm not going to win four matches in a row against somebody I'm not supposed to beat, but I can beat one player. I'm not supposed to be in the match, you know, so that I really like that. Absolutely. It, it's real easy to set an unachievable goal. And that's what kills your motivation to keep on trying. So if you can actually give yourself what you feel to be an achievable goal, the moment you get it, your your motivation is there. Like you want to do better. And that's that's what I've done for myself. And I do try to like instill that uh, into people as well to where like, if we look at our local tournaments, there's myself and a handful of other people that if our local players see us come in, they're immediately discouraged or they can, I should say, they can be immediately discouraged from even playing. And my only advice to that is you have to remember that we were once in your shoes. Yep. Right. And we kept on playing no matter what. And now, you know, we're, we were, we were the same people that were afraid of the people that were playing, but now we're the, we're the ones that, uh, that you're afraid of. So all I can say is like, if you want it that bad, you just need to figure out, well, like you said, let me beat this person. I know, I know I'm probably not going to beat everybody here, but let me at least beat this one person. And the moment you achieve that, you, you look you look for who's next. And then you just keep finding these steps that you can eventually climb because that's at least how you're going to measure progress. If your progress is, or if you're measuring progress by saying, every time I play, I lose, you, you're, you're not measuring against anything. It, it, it's, it's not going to help you. But if you at least say, well, I lost, but I beat these people. Well, that's, that's something positive. It's the simple... Um, idea of looking for the positive in what should appear to be negative because you lost well well why did you lose was there anything positive in that loss find that and hold on to that and try to turn the negative situation into a more positive situation after that once you achieve that now you're going to go back into the negative role because you, you you've already hit your milestone and then climb back up to the next milestone yeah so a question I ask everyone that I interview, who else would you like to see me interview? So it could be from your genre of like pool instruction, or it could be a professional player. Who would you like to see me interview? Um, I think it would probably be a good idea to where, like I said, if, if you've interviewed professionals, you know, professional opinions are always good to have. But it's always good to have the non-professional opinions as well, because you, you can hear what a professional struggles with as far as the game, and, th and they'll talk about other professionals, et cetera, et cetera. But what about the non-professionals? What do they struggle with? Because again, like, like I said, in my opinion, I think those are the ones that need the most help in order to help 
uh, make the game as popular again to be on television uh, rather than just on the internet. Um, and c could you possibly, how many people are out there that are not players, but coaches or instructors, if, if that makes any sense, mm -hmm. um, like just to hear other types of opinion. The main thing I'm looking at is to, is to definitely get different perspectives of how people look at this game. So, I mean, better yet, a person that doesn't play pool, but likes to watch it. Like what's, what's their perspective and, and what do they think it would take to, to make it popular again, or what would entice them to not become a watcher, but to become a player. Like, I, I think maybe that would be something uh, pretty cool to see. Yeah, I really like that. When I started doing this, I, I, I felt like I needed to be narrow focused, you know, and and for me, I've competed against some some top players and I, I have a pretty good network of people that I knew. So I knew I had a way to get started and start talking to some of these pros. But now I'm at the point where I want to start talking to more people. So I think that's really good advice. You know, I really appreciate your time today, Chris. I think that. Um, what you're doing for the game is great. You're bringing the instruction side of the game to so many people who wouldn't maybe normally see it, you know, or maybe they went out on a date or they're going out on a date and they're like, Oh, I want to impress this, this girl or impress this guy. <laughs> and so they check out your video and they hit a draw shot and their date has the same reaction you had the first time you saw a draw shot. I mean, how right. awesome is that? And so if we're going to build this game, at the professional, at the top levels, it has to be built all the way through, you know, from the very beginning player that first saw that draw shot and just got something going inside of them. And you're doing that. So I want to thank you for that. If there's ever anything that I can do to help you, please, you know, feel free to ask. And, uh, you know, I'd like to stay connected with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, pre I really appreciate that. The, the, the thing that I can probably just leave this on as far as the, the teaching aspect of it is, is the idea of knowing that somebody is struggling with something. It doesn't, doesn't have to be pulled. Just they're struggling with something to, to learn something. And so this is coming from me as a, as a college instructor as well. If a student is trying to learn how to program or an individual is struggling to you know, find the job that they want or, you know, whatever, whatever the obstacle course is that someone's doing. If, if I'm able to turn that light bulb on it, you know, anybody that has experienced what I'm talking about should understand what I'm talking about here. The, the first, the joy that you can actually see when the, when the epiphany moment happens on the individual that you're trying to help out, that is what is, that's very beautiful to me to see that and to know that I was a part of that. And I relate that to when people ask me, how can I sit in front of a computer all day long and write computer software? And my simple answer is this, if someone out there is using the software that I help build, and that is making their life or their job easier to do, I know that I played a part in that. And so if you translate that definition to anything else, I helped this person become a better pool player. I helped this person do this, or I helped this person, you know, I had a part to play in the betterment slash improvement of another individual. That's primarily why I have what I have on my YouTube channel. That's awesome. So the channel is Lil Chris and uh, any other social media you want to share? 
there is my uh, Facebook page, um, uh, Facebook slash Little Chris Pool Player, um, as well. That's I use that as kind of an extension. Um, I don't have Instagrams. I'm not really a big fan of social media. Like I have my personal uh, Facebook page as well, but that's to keep in contact with friends and family, uh, kind of thing. I don't have Instagram. I don't do Twitter or, or anything like that. But at least for my YouTube channel, I do have an extension of that on Facebook. Awesome. Well, Chris, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me.